Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Hello and welcome everybody to episode number 161 of Linux in the Hamshack. I am your co-host Russ K5TUX. Across from me is another co-host of the show, Cheryl. Hello everyone. Whose microphone is actually still working. This This is all very good news. And get this, we have breaking news on the Linux in the Hamshack podcast. We have with us a new co-host. Out of the wilds of northern Colorado, we have Rich, KD0RG. Hello, everybody! Yay! Woo! (laughs) (laughs) Flailing Kermit arms, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Everyone knows what the flailing Kermit arms, right? Yay! Yeah, well, if they're driving, that's probably not a good idea, but okay. Keep your hands on the wheel. (laughs) Save it for later, if absolutely necessary. I'm not driving. (laughs) For a change. That's right. For a change. Well, that's good. We're glad to have you not driving, and we're glad to have you sitting in on the show. Pete is going to be on hiatus for a little while. He's dealing with uh, family and life concerns uh, for a little while. Uh, He'll be back on the show sometimes. Pete will be on the, or yeah, I said Pete. (laughs) Rich will be on the show (laughs) sometimes or all the time or I don't know what. But anyway, it's a new and uh, bright future for Linux in the Hamshack. Good times from here on out. Well, yeah. It's a dynamic future. That's right. (laughs) It's a dynamic, wonderful future. And the best part about the episode today is Rich did 90% of the work. Which is very cool. Yeah, which is very cool for us. So I'm not sure how you fit that in between some of the stuff we're going to talk about later, like where you were over the weekend and what you do for a day job and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know. You managed to put stuff in here that we never get a chance to to get around to but this is all good and the best part about it is since we've had to do a couple of shows on our own well actually more than a couple of shows on our own i've had to do a lot of the talking which you know is okay it is a podcast it is an audio medium and there is some talking required i kind of went into it knowing that but it's always nice to be able to you know bounce it off to someone else and have them do the talking for a little while so i can sit back and drink my beer and eat, eat my dinner. cheese and crackers yeah. and stuff like that. So, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about the beer uh, later on. There's there's some of that coming up in Cheryl's recipe corner. Um, we have an, an amazingly jam packed show. We we've been able to keep the show down to about an hour for quite a while now, which is That's exactly not going to happen tonight. <clears throat> yeah, it's exactly where I want to keep <clears throat> it, but I don't see that happening tonight. So I guess we better just dive on in. All right, Rich, um, we'll, we'll uh, share some of these reading duties, but since you're new to the program, we're going to just throw you to the wolves. We'll, we'll go ahead, and, and since you put this story in here, you should know it really well. So we're going to find out um, if Gary Pierce is going to jump down your throat like he li- likes to jump down ours and see how well you can read your own story. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, that's a whole episode. Um, <laughs> Winter Field Day is here. The the win, 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 winter field day 
<laughs> Association, WFDA, is a dedicated group of amateur radio operators who believe that emergency communications in a winter environment is just as important as the preparations and practice that is done each summer. But with some additional unique operational concerns. They believe, as do those entities of ARR organizations like Aries and Racy's, that maintaining your operational skills should not be limited to fair weather scenarios. And the, the page goes on. It's actually from winterfieldday.com. This used to be put on um, – well, it, I think it's the same organization, but it was SPAR, I think. But I, I'm, I'm forgetting. Winterfield Day is next weekend. It's just like summer field day, except you go out there in the cold. And it's not quite as long. Winter field day, Russ? I have not done winter field day, and I think I would really like to do it this week when it comes up. But the thing is, we're busy this weekend. Now, we're not busy until later in the afternoon, so it's entirely possible that I could like jump on for an hour or two while this is going on. But um, I'm not committing to anything at this point. Uh, but no, I have not participated up to as of now. Well, it's uh, you know, it, it's it's gained traction in the last couple of years. I'll say I actually uh, helped last year with my son's radio club. They decided to do Winter Field Day, and it was cold and windy, <laughs> and and winter. Still fun. Yeah. We actually right. we actually camped. We actually camped out there. So anyway, the the ex- the only thing really different this year for anybody who does it, the exchange is a little easier, which is good. All bands except 12, 17, 30, and 60 meters. Um, you can operate from indoors if you'd like, and the exchange is your call sign, your category, and the categories are I, O, or H for indoor, outdoor, or home, um, your section, and then, uh, oh, I don't know. They, You go to this winterfieldday.com forward slash rules.html, and you'll get it all there. Are the sections based on like the ARRL field day sections? Yes, they are the the same sections as the ARRL. Um, in the in the rules, it says or RAC section, and I actually or DX for outside of U.S. and Canada. So right. RAC, what is that? Republic of Canada. <laughs> I I don't know. We don't have Pete here to answer Canadian questions anymore. So uh, that's right. We'll have to let the Royal Royal Air Command. Is that what that is? <laughs> that's the RAC that I'm aware of. Uh, radio it, Amateurs of Canada. It has to do with, yeah, Radio, yeah, amateurs, radio amateurs of Canada. Canada. Okay. There we go. Uh, yes, there we go. All right, sure. well, very cool. So if you get a chance to participate in uh, Winter Field Day this coming weekend, you should definitely do that. Maybe you'll hear me on the air. Will we hear you on the air, Richard? Will you be out there? Uh, Ri- I should say son. Rich. I should say Rich, not Richard. <laughs> Just yeah. to keep everybody Those straight. are big shoes to fill. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, um, no, probably not. It'll uh, the club that I'll be helping out is Whiskey Zero Charlie Alpha, W Zero C A. So if uh, be on the li- listen for those guys. All right, sounds good. Very good. So you want to read the next one? Can you read the next one? Now that I got a mouthful. Now, of yeah, cheese. now that I well, that's why I'm doing it to you because you decided to take a bite. That's why. Hang on. <laughs> Can I just say that Winterfield Day is um, the. Uh, <laughs> Jeez, I was going to give a date because I know that when I listen to these podcasts, it's uh, it's it's always a little. It's on the thirty first, the thirtieth January thirtieth and thirty first two thousand sixteen. Well, now that you've put topical information in, I'm going to do my best to get it out so it's actually there before the, the time. <laughs> yeah, since instead of waiting, I, I actually weeks. have been doing much better about that lately. So you've had very short. I, I didn't podcasts. mean it as a criticism, only to help the listener. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> 
No, we didn't take it that way, so it's not a problem. All right, and you're done eating, so go ahead. All right. Old-fashioned ham radio proves its reliability in the age of texting. Veterans of Foreign Wars Post 3115 runs a fairly standard operation. For years, the post from Wichita, Kansas, has been known as a place where veterans can relax and socialize. But the post offers something else tucked away in a broom closet, a fully operational amateur radio station. The W0VFW Amateur Radio Club began in 2007 when club trustee Dennis Godby teamed up with other VFW members to bring amateur radio to the post. He's quoted as saying, I was sitting down here talking to a barfly and he said, you know the commander is a hammer operator, Godby recounted. With his old radio, power supply, and a Morse code key, Godby set up shop in a folding table in the back of the building. Now the club has grown to more than 20 regular operators. And this information was found on Kansas.com. And there's additional uh, information at Wichita Memorial 3115.com. I love the call sign, w- W0VFW. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> yes, well well played. Um, and this well, and the, the W could actually be attributed to well, right. Wichita VFW, right. So well, it could have been K- K0VFW as well for Kansas. Right, true, but it would it's easy to remember the W. So. Yeah, unfortunately, we uh, we in the United States only get a couple of options for our uh, prefix there. So yes, no, no, I understand that, but what I'm saying, <laughs> never mind, forget that I said anything. When, when you get your ham radio license, you'll understand these things. I'm not stupid. If, you know, <laughs> they could have made it WK0VFW Wichita, Kansas. Wow. Yeah, but anyway. Yeah. And I'd be willing to bet that's probably available, too. So Yeah, probably. Because I don't think anyone goes for those uh, really long call signs when they sign up for the vanity call program. I don't know a lot of two by threes that were vanity calls, unless the other no. ones just aren't available. That's cool. I, though. You know, I included this story because I was—I uh, don't know if you saw my earlier note. This old-fashioned ham radio—it's just a stigma that that we'll never get rid of. And this story did nothing, in my opinion, to help portray the image of amateur radio in any kind of a modern light. I'm going to get kicked off the show. <laughs> uh, how do I put this? Um, I, I don't hear the kids saying, hey, Bob, let's go down to the VFW and hang out. <laughs> no, and that's very true. Although I have to say, uh, here in, in Springfield, just up the road, we have uh, VFW 639, I think it is. Uh-huh. Uh, and that is like one of the most happening places around here. They have biker events and uh, all kinds of stuff. They, they just have stuff going on like every day of the year up there. So the VFW is not just a bunch of old veterans hanging around drinking whiskey and socializing. You know, well, there there's really that one isn't. There's others that still. Are. Well, right, right. The title of the story is, was uh, proves its reliability in the age of texting, and then goes on to talk about a bunch of old people sitting at a VFW using a radio in a broom closet. Yeah, I don't see, <laughs> I don't see how that's like endearing itself to the uh, the text generation. I guess you're right. About that. I, well, and I just I so that's why I included it because it was like oh another one of these stories, you know, that the image and the whole it's a pro. I just I see it as a problem. Mm. Anyway, uh, one that can be overcome. Yeah, I think I think uh, the boundaries of amateur radio are being pushed on a daily basis, and I hope that our show, you know, elucidates some of those boundaries that are being pushed and gets more people interested in the hobby. I know in the time that we've been doing the show, it, dozens of people, particularly you know Linux users, who are getting interested in ham radio and 
becoming licensed, even if they're not actively using ham radio, just to be a part of the system. And oh, is your microphone crapping out again? Uh, Enough about <coughs> radio from a bloom broom, a bloom a bloom, a bloom <laughs> closet. Yeah, a bloom closet. <laughs> we should probably move on. And um, I would read this next one, although there's not much to read, and I'm kind of curious about um, why this one was included as well. And since Rich included this one, I'm just going to let you have it. (laughs) (laughs) I included it because it was cool. (laughs) All right, cool. WXBot, an APRS weather forecast auto responder. WXBot is an APRS dash is listener app that listens for messages and responds with a brief u.s national weather service forecast send an aprs message to ki6 wjp consisting of any single character and receive back a weather forecast for your location optionally you can specify where when or what the where can take the following form call sign or an object known to api.aprs.fi that has a location uh, including CWOP stations and AIS ships. You can include a five-digit zip code, four or six-character maiden-haired grid square, or latitude-longitude using decimal degrees. Uh, this comes from KI6WJP's um, website. It's uh, sites.google. Well, you'll probably put it in the show notes. I don't need to, I don't need to do that. I <laughs> it think. will definitely be in the show notes, yes. Here's what it does. I can be going down the road. And I can be, oh, I wonder what the weather's like over here. I can send an APRS message to KI6WJP with the zip code of the place I'm going to, and I will get back a weather report. I think that is cool. So, <laughs> sorry, you caught both of us eating. Um, are oh, you okay. <laughs> Are you APRS enabled in the, in the truck? I'm not, but I should be. But to me, it's just, you know, when you're, when you're out there, like let's say you're driving cross-country and you hear something on the radio, and I don't know why we wouldn't be able to listen to just the weather radio, but it was just – to me, it, it was just a pretty cool little project. One of those projects, you know, it's open source. It's a Perl script actually, uh, his, his, listener, his listener thing. Um, and let's see. Uh, it just – it's the openness of APRS. It it just you can do these things. You're not inhibited by you know some third party company. You can just create something and have it be cool. I know lots of people, and we talk about APRS on the show and almost an inordinate amount. But it's one part of amateur radio that I have never touched on at all. I don't have any devices that are APRS enabled. I do have a Garmin GPS unit that has an external connector, so I have the ability to use APRS. I have just never actually done so. But I hear all of these cool things that can be done with it. Every time I hear about APRS, I just go back to the idea that it's basically a packet forwarding and locator service, and that doesn't, like, blow my hair back. So I'm not sure what it's going to take for me to actually try APRS. This this does sound interesting. You, you do Here's dra- what it'll take. It will take, and and this is true of uh, a lot of these new technologies, it takes uh, out-of-the-box working. And some of this stuff is just – the learning curve is, is too big. And, uh, you know, it's one thing we'll talk about later at the – you know, when I was doing the ambassador um, thing. It's like, yeah, people are interested, but they don't want to buy a Raspberry Pi and then go have to buy a card and then have to figure out how to – you know, uh, write an image to the card and then have to figure out, 
you know, how to download amateur radio software for the Raspberry Pi. They want one box. They want a box. They open it up. They plug it in. It works. And unfortunately, we're, we're not there yet. Well, I don't know. That that may be true for, for most people, but I'm not afraid of having a bunch of stuff cobbled together and wires running everywhere. All you have to do is look at my shack to say that that, that doesn't scare me in the least. But it's still a technology that I haven't approached, and I couldn't give you a reason why. I just never have. You know, I have. Uh, you can send messages. If you go to APRS.FI, I think you can send messages from there. And I've done that before, and, I, and I've received some too because I knew somebody was out on the road, and so I sent them a message. And I, if they didn't get it, they told me they got it later. You know, if I didn't get a message back right away, they told me they got it later. I, and, yeah, I should probably uh, look more into it as well. Well, that's right. Well, this this will definitely be something for those aficionados of APRS, and there are many that listen to our show. I, I know that because we get lots of feedback about it when we talk about it. So I know this will interest many. It just, at the moment, does not interest me. But as we'll learn later, I did delve into another ham radio technology for the first time and had some great success with it. So maybe this is the next thing on my plate. We'll find out. Very good. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, read the next story. We're, we're shifting over into open source topics from our amateur radio topics. And the first one, well, actually, you know what? I'm not going to do that because, I'm, again, I'm going to, I'm going to have Rich uh, talk about why this is even in here because this is, um, it's interesting. Uh, well, there's sort of two conjoined stories here um, that we're going to talk about. I'm going to let you uh, address the the text of the stories and why you thought they were uh, worthy of mention. Not the second one, but the first one. Yeah, so it's a, a brief history of Debian. Appendix A, the Debian Manifesto, which was written by uh, Ian Murdoch. And uh, this particular, let's see, appendix was last revised in, in January of 94. And this was, this was, I guess he was writing about why Debian was created. Uh, Ian Murdoch was, you know, founder, creator of Debian, Russ? I guess founder, you would say, right? Uh, founder and creator probably gets both titles. Uh, he and Deb, the Deb of Debian, because <clears throat> yeah. the Ian of Ian is him, <laughs> yes. Uh, were, yes, both founders and creators, I, I guess you would put. So there's a little, uh, well, anyway, I'll, I'll start reading. Appendix A, the Debian Manifesto. Debian Linux is a brand new kind of Linux distribution. Rather than being developed by one isolated individual or group, as other distributions of Linux have been developed in the past, Debian is being developed openly in the spirit of Linux and GNU. The primary purpose of the Debian project is to finally create a distribution that lives up to the Linux name. Debian is being carefully and conscientiously put together and will be maintained and supported with similar care. Many distributions have started out as fairly good systems, but as time passes, attention to maintaining the distribution becomes a secondary concern. A case in point is the soft landing Linux system, better known as SLS. It is quite possibly the most bug-ridden and badly maintained Linux distribution available. Unfortunately, it is also quite possibly the most popular. It is, without question, the distribution that attracts the most attention from the many commercial distributors of Linux that have surfaced to capitalize on the growing popularity of the operating system. I, I just wanted to include it to, to give a little background as to um, Debian and then a little history there, too. 
in the in the uh, Linux loop in '94. <laughs> Jeez, what was I doing? I don't even know. But um, I actually was running Debian 0.9 um, well, in 1994. So that's fin- I'm I'm glad I know that. So had had you ever heard of soft landing Linux before? Yes, uh, SLS and Slackware and Debian were all contemporaneous back in 1994, and it was kind of you had to pick between one of those three. Red Hat was still in the in the infantist of infancies at the time so everything had come basically from sls and actually while you were reading the story talking about debian as a linux distribution i could hear richard stallman screaming from wherever he's at that it's gnu linux (laughs) i know (laughs) (laughs) um but uh yes i am i'm well aware of sls there's a there's a wonderful flow chart which, if I can find a link to it, I will. And if our wonderful friends in the chat room are listening to this, they can find it for me and post it. Basically shows a left-to-right progression of the very core Linuxes that started back in 1992, and then all of the Linux distributions and how they evolved from them in a giant, well-crafted flowchart um, and if you look at the very early days of Linux, you will see Red Hat, SLS, Slackware, and Debian. And basically every other Linux distribution that's out there has somehow evolved from them. Ah, very good. I've heard of this flowchart. I've never, I don't think I've ever seen it, though. I have so, seen it. It's it's a wonderful thing to behold, actually. So, ah, some, sometimes data is presented in ways that are just magnificent, and that is one of those things. Mm-hmm. Oh, very good. I have it right here. All right, post the link in the chat room so we can all be amazed. Cool. I'm going to look at it myself because I love looking at this thing. At least I hope that's it. Well, well I'll tell you in a second because I know the one I'm talking about. Well, it it looks like probably what you're you know talking about. Uh, no, no, that is not. That it. is not. That it. is okay. not it. <laughs> Sorry. Here, I'll try and find it while Rich continues to talk about the manifesto. Well, it, it it was just a little bit of history, and I thought it uh, would be appropriate to to look back and um, talk a little about a bit a little bit about Ian Murdoch and uh, the significance that he had on all, <laughs> everything that we're using. Most people uh, are using Ubuntu or a variant of, which is a variant. You know that all is based on Debian and pretty important in the in the Linux com- you know the Linux world. Okay, I, I did find it. I'm going to post the link. And I wasn't paying attention to anything you said, because <laughs> I was looking... We were talking about story number two. No, no, I know what we're doing. I was just... <laughs> just the significance of uh, of the Debian Manifesto. Okay, that, that link that I posted in the show notes is one version. I mean, it's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, one copy of it, so... And, and you, it is correctly uh, GNU slash Linux. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. We, I could spend all day the pretty... Ooh, er, look, pretty colors! It looks like the Starship Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, kind of. But as you, if you look at the very far left of the image, you can see uh, Iggy which I think that's a... Is that a Tolkien reference? Or is that... I've, I've heard me. that word before. But anyway... The MCC interim, which uh, created SLS, which became Slackware, SUSE, and, and that line, the Red Hat line, and Debian, and then you mm-hmm. can you can see that every other distribution that has ever been <laughs> evolved from them. 
It is a wow. mythical tree that connects the nine worlds and Norse, Norse cosmology. Oh, it's Norse, so it's an actual uh, <clears throat> Scandinavian-type thing. I know, I know I'd seen it before, I just couldn't remember where. It's probably used in, like, Dungeons & Dragons or something. Anyway. Yoper Linux, all by itself. <laughs> so, so let's all get sidetracked by the wonderful flowchart. <laughs> all right. Well, there we have it. Um, shall I go to the next story? All right, yes. yes. We probably should just move on to the next story. Anyway, if you want to check out the flowchart, I will definitely have that information in the show, show notes as well. So, And it's actually called the Linux Distribution Timeline. So if you do a, search, a Google image search for Linux Distribution Timeline, uh, you'll you'll be able to find it. No problems at all. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. It's it's just fascinating to see all the you know where everything came from. Gives you a little history. Well, it also makes you feel good if you listen to this show because we push Debian and Debian based distributions, and you mm-hmm. just know that now you know if you didn't know already that Debian comes from the very early days of Linux. You know, it's kind of like it kind of came from the big Linux bang. Kinda, yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah it's right there in the beginning i'm not so. supposed to be the comedic part of the show so no it's supposed to be rich <laughs> that's right oh i'm, I'm sorry he's like yeah, wait right. sorry falling down on the job <laughs> you did get the memo uh, I, am, I, I uh okay uh i'll i'll work on it i have to it's say just though the next story is such a bummer i it's hard right that's okay we'll, we'll get through it quick okay i'll you want to do it no you can do it Police confirm Ian Murdoch arrest before threatened suicide. Prominent open source programmer Ian Murdoch died in an apparent suicide Monday, December 28th, mere days after a violent encounter with San Francisco police that led to his arrest. Ian Murdoch, 42, was best known for his contributions to the Linux operating system, founding the Debian Project, a widely used Linux distribution, while a student at Purdue University in Indiana. Murdoch had a distinguished career in programming, most recently working for San Francisco-based Docker Incorporated, and previously working at Salesforce, Sun Microsystems, and as a chief technology officer of the Linux Foundation. Public concern about Murdoch's well-being grew on Sunday when, in a series of posts on Twitter, he vaguely described a violent encounter with San Francisco police, accusing the department of beating him up and sexually assaulting him during an arrest. I heard about the story early on, and I, you just couldn't find anything. And I immediately, you know, I'm reading the reaction of people, and it just to me, I'm like, you know, we don't, we don't know anything. We have some tweets from a guy who doesn't seem like he was really. People, people suggested that his account got hacked, and and um, it, you can uh, you can find those tweets online if you want. But it, at any rate, he was obviously going through some. Pretty tough times, and uh, or something, something was going on. Yeah, something. It seemed like he wasn't mentally stable at that point, or something. So, uh, yeah, and he had gone to a neighbor's house and was yeah. causing a disturbance. You know, I don't. I, I'm trying to. I want to speculate <laughs> because, of course, I think I know what happened. But anyway, um, the tweets. I don't. Did Did you read the the tweets, Russ? I, sure. I did not actually read the the tweets. Yeah, I yeah. did, and it, they were just vague and weird and basically like uh somebody that was schizophrenic or something was yeah typing and, and let me just uh, i'll just say it when you he he tried to compare it to some of the you know brutality that has gone on recently and 
I, I don't even know if I want to use that word because I think you can use any words you want. This is not a news program. You can well, no, because <laughs> is, is what I'm getting at is a lot of times stuff that happens is perfectly justified, and there are reasons for it. And if you were in the same position, you'd do it too. If you were in that police car in in you know in Ferguson, I don't I, I don't know what went on, but if certain stories are true, I don't know that I would have done anything different. I, and I I hate to be like that, but uh, you know, you just wish everyone minded their P's and Q's. And, you know, the the New York City, the over the cigarettes, I forget his name. That one seemed a little over the top. But anyway, I, all right. Now, see, I, I really got off the rails here. But That's okay. That's what we do on, here. You're banging on your neighbor's door. The police are called out, and you want to go in there and be a jerk about it. Uh, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, you know, so to me, you just – you got to take care of, of those issues. And, you know, going out and getting drunk or whatever. I don't know. You know, anyway. Yeah. Well, it's unfortunate uh, whatever happened uh, to Ian Murdoch, but it's it's often the case that brilliant people have social problems. Some of the most intelligent people in the world are, I think, what most of us would consider maladjusted because I think their brains are oriented towards their intellect and not social skills. I'm, I, I don't think I'm too out of line in saying that. And even the open source community is not without prior art in, in this realm. I mean, all you have to do is go back to Hans Reiser, and we we talked about him, I think, early on in the show when he was having his issues. So smart people have problems. Oh, absolutely. And And I'll say that when you see an issue very clearly and nobody else can see it <laughs> the way that you know, it should be seen. And I, I'm, yeah, it can be, it can be very difficult. It can be very difficult to, you know, to find, oh man, what am I, what am I trying to say? You know, I don't know that there's a solution, but I, I really, I, I feel bad for the whole, the whole thing, both sides, you know, uh, I don't think we'll ever know what the, what the deal was with the, with the neighbor. Cause it was apparently on, on the block that he lived on. And then he was taken to the hospital and then he went back home and, you know, they had to come back and arrest him again. And I don't know, it was just a, yeah, I was just I was just looking at the the tweets that he had posted that are archived, and it was yeah one of his comments was they beat me up they had to take me to the hospital I needed stitches, and I still had to pay twenty five thousand dollars to get out of jail after they beat me up. So and then, and but the police and that's in that San Francisco or SFBay.ca article, their spokeswoman suggested that he was banging his head on the metal cage separating the. Uh, yeah, I saw you know, something the, about that as well. Separating yeah, the, the back seat from the front right. seat, so that he was kind of, you know, <laughs> something was uh, going doing, on, doing it to himself. Yeah, yeah. and uh, again, you know, you're, boy. If anyway, it's just an un, unfortunate situation. Yeah. Well, the upshot is it led to uh, the death of one of the pioneers of of Linux, and uh, probably, you know, up until that time, a, a good person. I guess we can say they're all good people, right? So. Uh, it's unfortunate this this did actually happen uh, back in late December, um, shortly after Christmas. So uh, we we hadn't talked about it on the show. I didn't know that we necessarily wanted to address it, but I'm sure most people are aware that or who are interested in Linux anyway knew knew about Ian Murdoch's passing. But I was reluctant to talk about it. I just it it's just it, it's just so wrong. It's like you were saying, Russ. You know, these really smart people sometimes they just you know for whatever reason. I, I don't know. It's just incredibly unfortunate. I'll be quiet now. <laughs> That's not necessarily so. 
I'm not sure how we're going to follow that story with the next story, but I guess we're going to do it. Uh, <laughs> so, well, we can say that now things are getting maintained and fixed, which is what Ian Murdoch would have wanted. Exactly. Okay, perfect. A bug that can leak crypto keys was patched in OpenSSH. This is always good news. Um, what's not always good news is the fact that OpenSSH reveals vulnerabilities within itself uh, fairly often. But anyway, a critical bug that can leak secret cryptographic keys has just been fixed in OpenSSH, one of the more widely used implementations of the Secure Shell protocol. The vulnerability resides only in the version end users use to connect to servers. Well, that's kind of unfortunate because that's the part that's important. And it's not in versions used by servers themselves. A maliciously configured server could exploit it to obtain the contents of the connecting computer's memory, including the private encryption key used for the SSH connections. The bug is a result of code that enables an experimental roaming feature in OpenSSH versions 5.4 through 7.1. Quote, the matching server code has never been shipped, but the client code was enabled by default and could be tricked by a malicious server into leaking client memory to the server, including private client user keys, OpenSSH officials wrote in the advisory. So that is definitely unfortunate, and if you happen to be running a Linux system where you're actually using OpenSSH uh, as the protocol uh, on your system, which if you're using Linux, you probably are, you want to make sure that you check the, your system against the advisory, make sure that if you are using a vulnerable version that you get it patched immediately, if not sooner. Uh, information on this was found from ArsTechnica.com. And there's some additional information at seclist.org, which actually contains the text of the vulnerability. And, of course, links to those will be in the show notes. So hopefully, if you're actually paying attention to the security of your system, you'll have this patch before you even hear about it from us. But uh, if you're hearing about it from us, go patch your system now. Turn off the show, patch your system. <laughs> come back later. Come back and listen to the rest. So. <laughs> Oh, gosh, so. I got to go. I'll see you guys. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right, we'll talk to you later. <laughs> Russ, what does it all mean? <laughs> well, let's see. Uh, I, you know what? I say, I say this. You know, my lucrative career in the logistics industry doesn't allow me for a lot of time to be SSH and into everything. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I, I, I rarely use SSH. Uh, I, I can't remember ever using it um, other than to – log into a computer you know in in on the same lan <laughs> right so what does it mean that's exactly what it means though that that is a typical use scenario but things like putty or uh other remote desktop protocols or something may actually use open ssh underneath so if you connect remotely if you use some sort of client to connect remotely to another server whether it's actually using just, you know, SSH at the command line or, or some other method, it's probably best to make sure that your SSL transport layer is patched and secure because there's probably a lot of stuff on your system that relies on it. The way the thing was written, would I have to connect to a malicious server? My understanding from reading the text of the article that you posted is that, yes, you actually have to initiate the connection, and then the remote server has to be set up in such a way that it's expecting a connection from a compromised client uh, see. to initiate the exploit. Is there any way to get that through, like, if Rich's wife or uh, got an email? 
No, that okay. this is specifically using SSH. Okay. Um, so that's not likely. So if I so if it's le- like let's say I were um, SSHing into BlackSparrowMedia.net, I probably wouldn't need to worry about it too much. You would not have to worry about it because I would not be setting up my server to try and infiltrate the corrupted. Uh, I should say a, a server that I knew, like I knew, right. you know, right. Uh, like my my maybe if I worked for a company that allowed me to do that or something, I don't know. Yes, it's it would not be likely because it sounds like the server has to be set up. It, the server has to be hacked to be expecting an inbound connection from a compromised client to attempt to extract the memory contents and the private keys. So, but perhaps I was offered um, a free shell client on a Bulgarian server. Then I might, you, you know, you might possibly want to patch your client. Then, <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> So. Just, just, I, just kidding, Bulgaria. Sorry, I love it. <laughs> yeah. So, well, if you start getting hate mail from Bulgaria, we want to read it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yes. Make sure you patch your systems anyway. Kleewick is giving us all kinds of uh, advice. He also says for all systems app dash get update, and I will amend that to say for all Debian based systems app dash get update. For Red Hat based systems, you want to do a yum update. Uh, he also says, management of all your appliances, load balancers, firewalls, and VPN systems probably use SSH, and also management software uses SSH to establish trust between systems. And just now, don't run the SSH <laughs> client off the USB stick you found in the parking lot. That's always good advice. Yes, if you find a USB stick lying anywhere, do not plug it into anything that can read it. Okay. If you want to stick it into a random bodily orifice, I'm saying you're probably good with that, but don't put it in a computer. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Well, I'm just, I mean, just saying, if you want to put it in your ear, you're safer that way, okay? Mm -hmm. Okay, whatever. Very good. Aren't you glad I chose ear? Uh Okay. (laughs) All right, so yesterday we both saw a great thing about Linux. So, Cheryl, you want to read this one? Sure. Okay. Rubik's Cube is solved in just over one second using Linux. Jay Flatland and Paul Rose of Kansas City, Missouri, built an extremely fast Rubik's Cube solving robot and are in the process of applying for a world record. The Cube Solver features six stepper motors, 3D printed accessories including tiny feet that fit in holes drilled into the center square on each side of the toy and webcams. The hobbyists then feed data and a PC application running on Linux. That application determines a cube's state, feeds a cube's state into an uh, implementation of the Cosimba Rubik's Cube solving algorithm, and determines a set of moves to solve the cube very rapidly, Flatland said. The robot isn't entirely consistent. Two tests clock the machine at 1.196 seconds and 1.152 seconds, but the third time the program really came through, racing to the finish time in 1.047 seconds. Yeah, this was very cool. There's like a five-minute YouTube video out there uh, of them explaining the parts that they used uh, to create the machine, uh, the assembly of the Arduino-based controller for the stepper motors, uh, and then they showed the whole thing in action, and they're using a set of four HP off-the-shelf webcams to have the software analyze the state of the cube 
And the only thing they had to do was actually drill some small holes into the center of each side of the Rubik's Cube so that they could fit the teeth of the motors in so it could actually just turn the sides. And when I saw that, I was wondering if Guinness might not reject their claim of a of a world record because they've actually altered the cube in some way. And then I was thinking, why didn't they just use something like a suction cup on the end of the motor squeezed to each of the six sides should be just as effective at turning the sides of the cube without actually having to modify the cube. Now, whether that actually is a a concern for Guinness, I really don't know, but it seems to me like they could have done something very similar without having to actually modify the Rubik's cube uh, in order for the robot to, to manipulate it. Regardless of any of that, this thing is fantastic. The video is wonderful to watch. And to see this computer just take a randomly shuffled Rubik's Cube and solve it in roughly a second is pretty amazing. What what amazed me most is that the cube didn't just explode <laughs> while it was being manipulated. Because, I mean, it's turned so incredibly fast you can't even see it. It's just like he like pulled the paper off one of the uh, cameras, hit the button, and the thing was just like, done. And it just surprised me that the toy actually held up under and, the pressure, and didn't just like disintegrate while it was being solved. Yeah. Well, one thing that you took out of the story that was probably kind of pertinent was the fact that for the last time they did it, they actually covered the lenses on the webcams, hand scrambled it and put it back in the machine and it got it in 1.047 seconds. Well, they, they did that just to confirm that the computer wasn't figuring out the solution while the, you know, yeah, doing it ahead of time. Right. But it's clear from the demonstration they did that the computer doesn't need any lead time to figure out how to do the solution. It's clearly doing it in microseconds. And the, the fact that it takes about a second to actually do the solution is just the physical limitations of the motors. If the motors could turn faster, it could be solved faster. Right, in milliseconds. But honestly, I believe if the motors did turn any faster, the cube would would explode. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, it would probably come apart. Yeah. Wow, that is that is cool. And it it was all done by two guys with Linux, a bunch of uh, 3D printed parts in their spare time. I mean, truly amazing stuff that happens in this universe. And it runs on Linux. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that is that is slick. All right, so very cool. So we've moved on from our amateur radio topics into our open source topics, and now we're into Linux in the Ham Shack. Yay! <clears throat> and, uh, Rich, I'm going to let you tackle these first two since they're kind of quick and dirty, and let's get them done. Oh, yeah. Well, K-Log, uh, our favorite KDE logging program, uh, K-Log 0.9.2.3, now in Japanese and with an icon. K-Log's author, Jaime Roibles, happily reports that the latest version, 0.9.2.3, has just been released. He says it's not the biggest release of K-Log, but it brings some new features, like the new icon and Japanese translations. Jaime says, quote, in this release, I want to. Sp- what am I? I'm doing this all wrong, aren't I? <laughs> Jaime says, "Quote: In this release, I want to specially thank JL3OXR, who has added the Japanese translation as well as reported and fixed several bugs." Unquote. Um, and- I, I just want to point out that that sounded like really Mexico, and he's from Spain. <laughs> I know. <laughs> 
I grew up on the north side, bro. And it's like <laughs> the only the only accent I got. Okay, so okay. That's, that's all I got. All I can say is I hope he's not listening to the show because I think we're going to hear about it. <laughs> all right, I'm sorry. No, that's it's entirely fine. I just think it's hilarious. Um. Well, I'll work on it. Okay. There, there needs to be more uh, podcasters from Spain. That's how I. That's how I pick up accents. As I, <laughs> I listen to people. All right. So K- there's a new release of K Log, and uh, that's it's great. You know what? It's great. It's still still being actively developed. Yeah, I have. I've never used K Log. Is is K Log um, one of the ones that's K Log because it's KDE based, or does it just happen to be K Log? I'm not actually familiar with it. No, it's it's uh it's KDE. It'll it'll drag everything in, um, right? Which is why I don't uh, I I don't I don't use it because yep, there to be installed. Kate data, Kate part, KDE runtime, KDE runtime data, KDE libs. You know, and all uh, of, of five hundred packages, right? And all of Qt, which is the biggest part of it. So yes, yeah. All right, but if you happen to be running KDE, uh, this one's probably for you. I mean, most of the most of the KDE based apps um, are really wonderful apps. If you happen to be using KDE as a desktop, if you're not, I don't recommend trying to run them under GNOME, for example, because basically you have to install uh, all of KDE and all of KDE's fundamental parts just to run a you know 200k application. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's very pretty. You know, in in the synaptic synaptic package manager, you can. <clears throat> click on get screenshot it's a it's a very good looking logging program and i've used it before in the past uh you know probably five years ago and it's very capable all right well that is good news so uh for kde folks which we don't really talk about a lot because i personally am not a kde user so that's unfortunate for those folks who are but uh here here's some kde some love <laughs> for you We're, we threw you a bone <laughs> <laughs> well and and uh so one program is getting updated and another one is disappearing bug number 812407 remove cwirc uh zero popcorn dep remove that was the um title of uh of an email sent to um i think it's the debian bugs list i i belong to one of the lists maybe the debian hams mailing list and this got filtered through there i think um but anyway cwirc is a xchat plugin that allows you to send CW over IRC. XChat, yeah. IRC, yes. And according to Popcorn, which is the, it's a, it, I, I think they meant popularity contest. Oh, Popcon, yeah, there it is, Popcon. Popularity contest is a uh, is a package that people can, and you know, as Hams, maybe we ought to think about this. I never include it, or I never install it. But it's what it does is it it sends a little message back to. Um, Debian and says, oh, uh, yeah, this piece of software is being used. So whether or not this is actually being used or not, it's certainly, yeah, oh, it is, I'm sorry. <laughs> See, I was checking if Popularity Contest was installed. And I do have it installed. And is what it does is it, it sends back to you know Debian that, oh, yeah, this, this package is being used. Well, they have zero users for CWIRC. And because XChat is listed as a dependency and XChat is being deprecated, I think, in in favor of HexChat. Ted is telling us that uh, Pierre hasn't supported CWIRC in years, and it was never converted to Pulse Audio. We have the whole story. Thank you, Ted. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. <laughs> but this actually brings up an interesting point, because you said that you don't 
install Pulse or yeah, Pulse Audio. Sorry, popularity contest. Yeah, popularity contest on your machines, and I don't either. I, I have never uh, been a part of the popularity contest on any of my boxes, but this actually makes me think that it might be worth doing, uh, particularly on machines where I might use some lesser known software or uh, lesser used software. I had never really considered it before, and I had never really considered that there would be a reason to do it. Now I see that there might actually be a reason to do it, uh, so it might get me to reconsider using popularity contests going forward. That's the message I wanted to send. All right. Well, good deal. I'm glad you sent that message out there. Received loud and clear. Got you five five nine. I, I, I just and I thought this was funny. I searched for um, CWIRC like homepage and it uh, it's it's on a MySpace page. It's really great. <laughs> well, MySpace. I, anyway, did, like six months or twelve months ago, didn't MySpace decide that they wanted to try and resurge and become a thing again? Um, I don't know. Because MySpace has been essentially dead ever since the advent of Facebook. But I kind of gathered that there were some people actually moving back to MySpace recently. Oh, it, and I'm sorry, it's not It's not a MySpace page. Never mind. I, you can look at that link and see why I thought that. Yes, I, I see why you might think that. <laughs> but anyway, that link will be in the show notes as well as the links to all the other things we've been talking about, just in case we haven't made that abundantly clear. I will say there still are a lot of bands on MySpace. Yeah, yeah, there there are. I think a lot of them are moving to Reverb Nation, though, which is a actually much better site for that kind of thing than MySpace. I, I think MySpace is dead and will stay that way. We'll, we'll find out, I guess. <laughs> So anyway, moving on, we're going to talk about the fact, well, I think that's interesting about this next story is that you went to the, and I can't remember if it's the Northern or North Colorado ham fest this past weekend. And you went there as an ambassador for Linux in the ham shack, but you came home from the North Colorado ham fest as a host of Linux in the ham shack. So you didn't, (laughs) technically have to be an ambassador there because you're actually part of the show either way let's let's hear a little bit about your experiences and i did get your uh interview audio i don't know that i can actually play it but if i can i'll tell you what cheryl's Cheryl's the beer (laughs) (sighs) it's actually russ's beer (laughs) so is it is it drinkable (laughs) Um, no, you no. don't like that one either, huh? Let me All open right. mine. Okay. Okay. We're good. Anyway, Is we it, were talking about out. Rich being at the North Colorado Ham Fest as an ambassador slash host of Linux in the Ham Shack. So yeah, if I happen to be able to insert the three little uh, interviews that you did from the show, they will be heard right now. Okay, this is Rich, KD0RG. I'm here with... KP0NE, K-Bone. And uh, why did you come to the Ham Fest today? I've got 6 million CD players to sell. (laughs) I saw those new in the box. Yes, they are. And, uh, you know, you too could become a rich entrepreneur on eBay if you (laughs) bought all my stock and I'd even make you a good deal. (laughs) That's what brought you here. Are you a Linux user? Yes, I am. Ubuntu and uh, Raspberry, but I can't remember. Yeah, what are you use Raspbian? Yeah, Raspbian, that's it. All right. Well, very good. Uh, seven three. Ciao, ciao for now. Now. 
Okay, we have another unsuspecting guest here at the Hamfest. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Steve, WB0NFQ. And how long have you been using Linux? Uh, probably going on six six years. How long has Linux been around? Oh, longer than six years. But that's great. Now, what uh, you were talking to me earlier about, um, I think, an apt-get command. What happened? I've just working on setting up a Raspberry Pi and it boots. I log in. Everything's happy. I nothing more. Get update. Apt-get upgrade and reboot dash R. And it never came back again. Wah, 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 wah. What happened? Ultimately, I do remember seeing some file system errors before I rebooted it, and replacing the micro SD card was was the issue. I haven't gone back to troubleshoot to see if I throw away the old card or not, but uh, re- replacing a new card and starting over. So, back up those micro SDs is a really, really good idea. <laughs> Have, um, did you buy anything at the Hamfest? I did not. My my last hope is the drawings. <laughs> Mine too. 7-3. 73. Thanks a lot. Okay, last interview of the day. I'm here with Skylar Fennell, KD0WHB. And what is this really cool product that you have here? Um, I'm calling it the NanoStar. It's a portable all-star node. And uh, what you can do with it, if, if you're in RF range of this device, um, which has a little transmitter receiver, you can actually link up to nodes all around the world. Um, and uh, you can use All-Star or Echolink on it, and uh, actually both at the same time. And it's pretty cool. So you've got, you, you created this thing, uh, radio inside, pofeng, whatever you want to call it, cheap uh, Chinese <laughs> handheld, and it's connected to a sound card, and that's connected to a Pi, and you download uh, a customized image. Is this correct? Yeah, that's... on the right track? Yeah, that's correct. It has the Baofeng BF888 transmitter, and... Um, you just have to download the image from allstarlink.org. It's called Dial, and they make it for the Pi or a, or a regular old PC computer. Any old uh, desktop will work. And, uh, yeah. So there's available, but certainly images available for us excellent Linux users. Yep. Um, the new Dial image is... Uh, Raspbian based for the Pi and it's uh, Debian based uh, if you want to download it for a computer and uh, they used to use CentOS on the ACID distribution um, which uh, but they just came out with Dial um, a couple months ago and um, so you basically boot it up and configure your uh, transmitter and receiver and uh, then uh, put your call sign in and get password in and you're all star Ah, uh, that is pretty awesome. Now, let's see. Skylar, you look like you're 12. How old are you? I'm 17 years old. I'm a senior in high school. Well, congratulations. It's a great uh, a great product. Did you give me your call sign? It's Kilowatt Delta Zero Whiskey Hotel Bravo, KD0WHB. And just so I can get some Linux street, street cred, um, we're interviewing from the command line, aren't we? <laughs> yep, and I'm uh, talking into this little... High shield right here, and uh, we used uh, a record. Looks like. All right. <laughs> hey, thanks, man. I gotta get my Linux street cred. Know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'll say uh, 73 from Amateur Radio World. This is KD Zero WHP. And 73 from Rich KD Zero RG. And if not, you heard nothing, and we've moved on <laughs> to the next part of the show. So, which is perfectly fine. 
So anyway, tell us about North Colorado Ham Fest. It was great. I was completely unprepared. I had uh, I had great expectations for myself, and yeah, I met about half of them. <laughs> but uh, as far as getting stuff working and and being able to show things off, but I I'll say there was plenty of enthusiasm for Linux. Um, I found myself going out to the front of the table. I had three monitors going, and I had a Raspberry Pi connected to each one, and you know one had. Uh, Gpredict going for a while and some logging stuff and another one let's see was that my recording machine um, I, I have a, a Wolfson audio card on an old Raspberry Pi has built in microphones so we were recording right into the Raspberry Pi via the command line which <laughs> which is pretty cool because um, you might be a Linux nerd if you can record audio from the command line <laughs> that's my joke uh, <laughs> I, I, might- I like your joke Maybe I should say you might have good Linux foo if you can there you insert go. it here from the <laughs> command line. That, that's your non-redneck version of your joke. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like crap. <laughs> the, the redneck sounds better, don't it? All right. Anyway, um, lots of people using Linux, and it was great. I mean, I spent... 90% of the time out in front of the table talking to people, it was just, you know, there was enough room to do that. And people were constantly coming by. My my kids were there, you know, they were helping with my son's club. They, they were selling stuff in a different area. And, you know, every time they said, oh, yeah, every time we went and saw dad, he was talking to people because it was nonstop. And it was great. And I handed out a bunch of cards and hopefully they're listening. And um, Craig stopped by, K0CWB. And I will mention him, and I don't know if I'm going to mention anybody else. And you know why I'm going to mention Craig? Why? Why? She'll say, I don't know. Because he's I don't the know. only one with a profile on HamQTH. No one else had a profile on HamQTH. I would encourage everybody, go to HamQTH, fill out your profile, add a picture. I just – anyway, it's a little pet peeve of mine. <laughs> so I'll you know what? I'll mention names, not call signs. Tyler stopped by, Doug, Rod, Diana, Randall, Rick, Brian, Terry, Arif, who is a Ubuntu ham and doesn't even have a profile on AMQTH. WBZ oh no that <laughs> Steve, I said I wasn't doing call signs. Uh, <laughs> Steve stopped by and Skyler. Um and these are just people that that I wrote their call signs and names down. There were there were others too. So forgive me if I forgot you. But uh Craig's a longtime listener to the show, and he uh, he stopped by and said hi, and it was just it was just great. It was a lot of fun to talk Linux and to you know I demoed a few things. People were interested in the in the Raspberry Pis, the Pi two with the one gig of RAM and the one gig gigahertz processor. It can run just about everything. I didn't have a lot going on, but I had GPredict going with about eight satellites, and it was handling that just fine. Um, let's see, what did I have on? I had a, I had Xlog on one and anyway, it was a lot of fun. It was just, just talking Linux to people. <laughs> it really made me a, my day. I was, I was happy the whole weekend. Plus the Broncos won. <laughs> well, we won't talk about that. So was the Colorado ham, was that ham fest one day or two days? It was, it's just one day. And, uh, as most ham fests in Colorado go ham fests, not conventions, uh, they're really only for half a day in the in the morning. And uh, some ham fests, I don't know how it is in other areas of the country, but a lot of people they don't even stick around for the last drawing. Uh, you know, uh, and I'm uh, not at this one. Everybody pretty much stayed till the end. But then, as soon as the drawing was done, they're out the door. You know, so 
anyway, okay. that's just the way it goes. But uh, but it was a, it was a, a lot of fun. If anybody wants to to do the ambassador thing, man, I had a great time talking Linux with people. Well, we always have a great time when we go to fests, whether they be Linux or Ham, because the the people are great, and we actually got especially at Hamvention, but we've been to other places as too. We get what I think is more interest than I figure we will. It always seems like we're more popular than we probably should than, be than or we, whatever. Not that yeah. we probably should be, that we, than we think we're going to be, I, I think is what it is. Yeah. Um, which is which is always wonderful. And we were wondering, actually, or Cheryl was wondering if we had, if I had bothered to send uh, cards to you, because I wasn't sure. Business cards. <clears throat> uh, but you said that you gave out cards, so I'm guessing you got some. <laughs> I got I got a whole big box and I I handed about a third of them out I think Ooh. told people about the show you know and it's it, like anything a lot of people have never heard oh what's a podcast oh do I have to listen live oh how can I listen to that so you know those those questions got answered I I was just happy to do it um it was it was a lot of fun <laughs> I was really trying to do some some pretty crazy things that I thought would be really cool <laughs> I just didn't have the time to do them. Um, and I'll mention one. I had Linksys WRT54G version 1.1. So I, I put the DDWRT on there, and it has this DNS, DNS mask thing. Russ, maybe you know something about this. But anyway, is what I was trying to do is if people connected to my Wi-Fi network, I wanted to send any and all DNS requests to a single page that would show them. <laughs> and if you want, I'll, I'll send I'll, – I'll maybe make a – uh, you know, a screenshot of the page, but it said, oh, no internet here. You can only download episodes of, and then I had a big Linux in the ham shack picture. And then at the <laughs> bottom were two links to episode like 159 and 160. And I had those on the, on the, my Raspberry Pi running, uh, running Nginx. And I, I actually was able to do it with my phone at one point, but other people's phones would override, like if the, if, if the Wi-Fi didn't work, it would automatically go through the network. So it was kind of a fail on my part. <laughs> well, that's not really a fail on your part. I think you had it configured correctly. It's just that when some phones, particularly iPhones, detect that there's another way to get to the network they're supposed to get to, they'll use it. Yeah, um, and I think that's what, what was happening. Now, Craig, who I mentioned, K0CWB, he actually put in the 168. 73.149, I think is what I used. And, and he, and, oh, that's right. I had put the, anyway, he, he got, he found the Nginx page. But, um, so it, it was, uh, I think I'll have to do a little more work on that. I don't, I don't know how to fool the phones. But anyway, it was fun. No, that, that's neat. I'm glad that you even tried to do that. Kind of do your, uh, captive portal setup using, uh, the Wi Fi router. That's very cool. Uh, even we don't go to that extreme. <laughs> Man, you know all them technical terms. Captive portal. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what it is. I deal with captive portals on a daisy, daily basis. So <laughs> I see. Excellent. Oh, see, I should have I should have called you and asked. You. Uh, so one thing, uh, one question that came up more than once, I'd say a half dozen times. People were asking, you know, for CDs with amateur radio software installed, and I just, um, you know, a, a live, a live DDD, DVD. So anyway, that might be the next project I have to embark on a, well, a redo of the old Ham OS there. Oh, and by the way, that was a live DVD and based on Debian. So 
uh, maybe I'll have to redo that. Well, I was going to actually address that because I knew you had mentioned it to me in an email before the program, and I was going to say it's probably not worth your time to bother because in the last, uh, either the last episode or the last, uh, the episode before that, rather, I talked about the Debian Ham Radio Pure Blend. Yes. Which is exactly that. It is a DVD live image with all of the Ham Radio software installed on it. So Yeah, I actually downloaded that and checked it out. Of course, it'll, it won't have any of the software that is not included in the Debian repos, so there is some room there for improvement, I guess, if you wanted to try and uh, package on some things that Debian doesn't currently package. But uh, as, as something to do as a giveaway... Uh, at upcoming uh, fests or at Hamvention, for example, the Debian uh, Ham Radio Pure Blend is probably uh, adequate, at least, to get people to be able to just pop something in and be able to try out Ham Radio software. Now, again, it won't be every software package that there is, but it's enough of them, I think, to give them uh, to whet the appetite. Uh, absolutely, and that's that's all uh, people really wanted. Because again, it's if you've never used it before, there's that learning curve. Well, how do I get software? Where's the software located? You know, do I have to go to websites and download it? That, you know, this it's still for the new user. It's still a little. It's a, it's a foreign concept to have it all right there in in a package manager or you know on a uh, I on the Raspberry Pi they have a ad remove ad software software. It's similar to the Software Center. It's a, you know a little different format. Right. Um. But anyway, nope, and that's that's something we've uh, wanted to address in the past. I've actually wanted to do a distribution of my own, you know, the the Hamshack Linux distribution or whatever it is, and kind of associated with the program and all of that. Uh, the best we've been able to come up with so far is basically either using someone else's, i.e., yours, or um, uh, what was the other one, K KB zero OIQ, Andy. yeah. Andy's Ham Radio Linux or something like that and just kind of put our logo on it, which, um, you know, that goes over reasonably well. Uh, I think what we'll probably do is rebrand or brand rather uh, the Ham Radio Pure Blend, at least uh, for the time being, uh, for upcoming events until uh, we either get the time or something better comes along. Uh, I think that's a great idea. I did hear you talking about it, and I I did fire it up, and it uh, it's got just about everything you need, and you can you can find things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, there's still a lot of this goes back to that you know maintaining theme that we were talking about earlier, and I guess it's a, a carryover from the early days. P- uh, people need an icon in the menu, otherwise they don't know it's there. Right. <laughs> anyway. Uh, and there were still some like when you install Aldo, which is a Morse code tutor. Uh, you know, there's nothing. You install it, and then it doesn't show up. And if you're a new user, you're like, "Well, I don't know where it went." Right. <laughs> so anyway, no, and that's definitely something we should uh, address on future programs: how to find those things that are on your system, but you just don't know where. Excellent. So I I'll wrap up the Hamfest saying it was a success, and we should move on to adventures in SSTV. All right, well, let's do that. These are my adventures in SSTV as of the last week. And um, we have talked about on this show SSTV quite a bit, I would say. And SSTV is one of those technologies that I've kind of looked at but never actually tried to play in along the lines of APRS. So I decided that I was tired of never having, um, you know, to put it in in a vulgar way, popped my SSTV cherry. So... I actually downloaded QSSTV on my Hamshack computer that I've got sitting here next to me, and I determined that I wasn't going to get up from my seat until I actually learned how to use the stupid thing. That being the case, I actually did learn how to use it. 
it took some doing. Uh, slow scan TV is, to put it in, you know, mildly, an interesting communication medium when it comes to ham radio. It's not your uh, single sideband or CW transmission or even PSK31. It is, it is definitely not any of those. It requires a little bit of advanced preparation. It requires digital mode interface because you are actually doing a digital mode. Slow scan TV is uh, in a way like things like PSK31 uh, already uh, in that you have digital information that's going from your computer that needs to be encoded in one direction and decoded in the other direction. But beyond that, you're actually encoding and decoding what for the bandwidth available would be considered fairly large bits of data because you're talking about as uh, at least in my case 500 by 400 pixel images what's nice about slow scan tv is that you actually get and receive uh, you actually get and send pictures now you can set up your qss tv uh, which by the way is a native SSTV application that we have talked about before links to it of course will be in the show notes you can set that up on your linux machine and just set it up in receive only you can set it up for automatic decode you can find the SSTV channel frequencies for the band that you want to monitor you can set your SSTV application for that band and then you can just receive and you can see you know SSTV CQs coming in and conversations going back and forth from stations around the world and you never have to initiate a conversation you can just see what people are sending and basically what people are sending is a uh, kind of like a qsl card except instead of a you know a qsl you're actually having one picture that shows you know station calling cqss tv and then another station responding you know with a signal report and then another station responding with, uh, you know, a 7-3 and then moving on. But all of this, of course, is done in pictures, which, which makes it kind of interesting. The, the biggest hurdle for me was trying to figure out where to get the pictures and how to set up the pictures properly to send to someone else so that they could respond to me. Because if you're just, if you're just watching the pictures roll in, you don't have to do any of that. All you have to do is just wait for them to come in. They come in, you see the pictures, and then away you go. But if you actually want to send slow scan TV data, QSS TV actually has a full mechanism for allowing you to create templates which overlay pictures that you can then send out. And these overlays will allow you to include information like your call sign, your QTH, your grid square, the time, the date, the signal report, comments, and such things such as those. And then the application allows you to fill in that data dynamically, and then it will overlay that data onto a picture using a template form so that you can respond to a CQ using slow scan, or you can send a 7.3, or you can send a weather report or anything like that. Plus, it keeps three separate uh, galleries of picture information, one of which is your templates, one of which is your transmitted images, and one of which is your received images. And then it also provides a facility for editing both templates and images. And this is all built into QSS TV. What I found out that you had to do, or the, the workflow that I eventually got through, was that I created a base image for myself. There are several 
uh, widths and heights that are considered standard format. I chose 500 by 400 pixels that seemed to be uh, used quite a bit uh, in the SSTV that I was receiving. I made a picture using the Linux in the Hamshack logo, uh, using a very large text version of my call sign, and then I created various temple, uh, templates to overlay that image. One where I had uh, a CQ, uh, one where I had a response, including a caller's call sign, a caller's report, uh, time and date, and then another one where I had, you know, a 7-3 and a QRT, and another one where I had uh, the caller's call sign and three comment lines. And that was enough information uh, so that I could initiate a CQ, get a response back from someone with a signal report, send them back a signal report, send them back additional information or additional comments if necessary, and then send them a 7-3 and a termination of the contact. One thing I did notice about SSTV is that um, all of the contacts or all of the information that I was receiving was pretty much on 20 meters. I did see a few contacts or a few CQs go out on 15 meters using SSTV, but I, I didn't get complete transmissions. Um, I don't know if it's my setup or if it's uh, just the band conditions right now, but a lot of times I would get like the first, oh, third or maybe half of an image, and then the signal would go QSB and then I wouldn't receive the rest of it. 20 meters was a little bit better. Um, I would get probably 75 to 95% of most of the transmissions uh, on that band, uh, which, by the way, if I remember correctly, is 14.230 uh, for standard SSTV on 20 meters. I received lots of CQs. I watched lots of conversations before I actually tried to get in on one. Uh, then finally, sometime, I think it was last weekend, I sent out several CQs did not get any responses, and then finally, at long last, after sending out CQs for probably an hour, I finally got a response. I actually got to see a slow scan TV sent back to me with my call sign included in a signal report, and I actually responded back to it and everything, and got a full QSO and actually logged uh, my very first slow scan television QSO uh, on 20 meters. And I don't remember the call sign. I actually have to look at the log, but I believe it was somewhere. I believe it was a four call somewhere uh, in the southeast. All of that was very cool, very enlightening, and I would uh, definitely recommend that if you have never tried slow scan TV, uh, you, you try it because it's not like any other ham radio communication medium. It's not quick and dirty. It involves uh, some real effort to get a good communication, a good contact, and get a a good full sort of two-way handshake to use a you know, networking term between contacts on slow scan TV when there is actually so much data being sent over a narrow bandwidth path. It's very satisfying when you actually make a contact uh, over slow scan. So if anyone has any more you know questions they want to ask me about that, because I'm sure I didn't include nearly enough information about what I did to get actually get it set up and working, um, I'd be more than happy to answer them. Just email me. Uh, K5TUX at K5TUX.us. I'd be happy to talk, talk to you about uh, slow scan. But it's uh, definitely something I'm really glad I did because I'd never done it before. I'd always wanted to. Uh, and now once I've kind of gotten over that somewhat steep learning curve of getting into how to use it and set it up and everything and uh, be able to get the templates to the point where it doesn't take a whole lot to 
actually make the communication because it allows you to kind of just uh, keep one thing sending over and over and then uh, put in the relevant details to complete QSOs. It's it's, uh, a lot easier than it used to be, but it's real fun, and I think everyone should try it. Uh, That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So, And I know I talked for, wow, probably a long time there. So uh, anyone have anything to say about SSTV? It's a lot of fun. So obviously you've done it. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's it's not very often, and it was just kind of what you did. It was more to check it out than anything else. And yeah, it is a little hard. You've got to figure out the images, and then and then that first one, it's like, okay, what do I do? How do I get the? How do I get his call sign in there? Because you send, you end up. Did you end up sending multiple pictures back and forth? So you send your CQ, and then. And and some guys are really good. They send you one picture for the CQ and then another one for the next part of the exchange and then another one at the end for the 7-3. Is that how it worked with you? That's how it worked from from their end. Usually yes. each part of the right. conversation had a different background picture. But yes. it's just as easy to choose the same background picture as a different one. So I just kind of went with the, the same one. Um, no, and that's and that's what I did too. I But there are some guys that really, they have a, they have a big... A big boatload of uh, of pictures to use, but anyway, it was, it's a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I don't know if it was just band conditions on my part, but I had I had a considerable amount of trouble actually trying to get a good, clear, one hundred percent image out of SSTV. Most of them were like you know good for half, and then they got really grainy, and then you know the rest of it would be okay or something like that, or you only received two thirds of it or anything like that. I, I assume it was just QSB on the band. But I never really, you know, when you see images of people talking QSS TV, maybe they're talking about ham DRM and stuff like that, where it's all digital. And, you know, of course, all the images come through perfectly clearly. But uh, in standard analog SSTV, most of the QSOs that I got were real pixel grainy, uh, not real clear, but, you know, at least legible enough to know that I made a contact. And Kleewick is wondering, were you using the QSS TV in the Debian repository? Yes, I was using QSS TV from the Debian repository. That's that's the software that I use. And that's the one that I've used, and it uh, it seems to work pretty flawlessly. And there's it's actually pretty powerful um, uh, and relatively easy to use. Wouldn't you agree? It, it is relatively easy to use. It's just it for some reason it's it's like an it's almost like a non-starter. You have to force yourself to figure out how to get that one image out on the air. You know, That's right, yeah. One, once you get past that hurdle, because it's not the same as picking up a microphone and saying CQ, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's there's a lot more work involved. You actually have to create an image, and it does, QSS TV does include an image editor, which allows you to create those images that you need to send, you know, as your CQ image or as your reply image or, you know, whatever it is. But the documentation is not super good. Um, (laughs) And um, it, it, you just have to, it's one of those things where it's, it's not real difficult. It's not rocket surgery as, as we'll, uh, we'll hear about later in a, in a comment. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's one, you just have to sit down, you have to read the documentation and you have to focus. If you can sit down and focus for 15 minutes, you'll have no problem doing this. Um, but you have to focus. Once you get the images created, once you've got the, you know, the idea of the, how the templates work sorted out, it becomes very easy. 
but if you don't have someone to sit there and hold your hand, it, it can take some time and it can take some, some actual energy to figure out how to get started. But once you do, uh, you'll figure, you'll, you'll look back on it like, why did I not get that right from the start? Cause it's really not that hard, but, um, I feel if, that way uh, about a lot of things. We did this uh, again at, a at my son's club and just on two meter HTs, we were all in the same room. We sent uh, SSTV images back and forth between each other, just holding up the handhelds to the to the laptops they were using. And the reason I bring it up is if you've got somebody locally that you talk to regularly on two meters, and I know guys in my area have done this, and they have um, coordinated. You can do it over two-meter FM. Uh, I know some guys in our area were on two meters FM on a, on a local repeater, and then they were doing their SSTV on two-meter sideband down at 144. 220 or or something like that it makes it a lot less intimidating <laughs> if you know what i mean yeah i imagine it would be if you're just doing um, a local point-to-point thing especially over fm because you probably get nice clear images pretty clear you can still you know it, the um sometimes it, it, they get crooked like they do because the timing's off or something like that but it, you know uh, and if anybody wants to see the grainy images that russ is talking about just google sstv images and there's there's plenty of them yeah, well, I've got a whole gallery full of grainy CQ- <laughs> <laughs> images on C. Uh, one nice thing about QSSTV and presumably all SSTV programs is that they have an auto skew facility that will do a very good job of uh, calculating those timing issues and actually re- reorienting your images so they look like they're supposed to, not a diagonal the way they come in. So. That was a real help to me, especially when the band was kind of poor and the images were coming in really grainy. It was actually exceptionally good at making, uh, because you could see it as each couple of lines of data would come in, it would reorient the image based on the timing that it was getting. And uh, usually by the time it got to the point where the transmission was done, the image actually looked like uh, a decent image, even if it started coming in uh, pretty severely skewed. Uh, so, so it's a pretty good application. I would agree. Cheryl, what about you? <laughs> Cheryl's like, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> who, who the hell are you? Where am I? What, what day is this? <laughs> When's the time for the recipe corner? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's, that's coming up very soon. So, uh, I do want to say that uh, Ted in the chat room mentions uh, qsl.net slash k3asi slash freakli.htm. And that is the website that I used for figuring out the calling frequencies for SSTV. So that link will be in the show notes too. So once you get QST, QSSTV installed on your machine and get your images created and all of that kind of stuff, uh, that's the place you want to go to find the place where you actually want to listen for other people's SSTV transmissions. And uh, that's basically where I found them all. Uh, so it's a great resource f- for that. All right. That being said... We are down to uh, music, finally, at Yay! long last. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <gasps> All right. And this music actually comes from Rich. Wow, Rich, you really just kind of jumped in and took over the show. So, I heard it on CC Hits, and that's how I found this band. I downloaded the album. Great driving music. If you're tired, not necessarily this song that we're going to hear, but the rest of the album, it'll keep you awake for hours. Hours. It's just got, got that kind of beat. Anyway, cool. No, that is cool. And I actually listened to this track earlier, so I'm glad you picked it because I liked it quite a bit. 
Oh, good. And I tend to be a little picky about music, especially music that's not metal. But this is uh, this is really good. Uh, fits my taste profile quite quite well. Uh, I'm going to play it off of MySpace, which is where we got it from, or where you got it from, or where somebody got it from. I did. I I did. Uh, it is. They did release this album under Creative Commons. I don't think that on the MySpace page that it actually said that, but it has been released, and it was it was released. I thought before 2010 under Creative Commons. But anyway, I digress. Uh, that's quite all right. Anyway, uh, Rich did find this one. It's on MySpace. It's probably in other places as well. Uh, presumably Creative Commons did come out in September of 2010. This is an American group. Runs about three minutes twenty seconds. Uh, the group is Sick of Sarah, and this particular song is called Simple Parts. Uh, I tried to play this a couple of times earlier, and it hiccuped. So uh, it may hiccup here on the live recording, but of course uh, the the released version will be flawless. So anyway, uh, let's listen to Simple Parts by Sick of Sarah, and then we'll talk about some other stuff. Time goes by so fast Figure out who you are Made in the factory of simple 
Simple Parts by Sick of Sarah. That's a pretty good track. I really like that one, Rich. So thanks for bringing it to my attention. Let me guess. Rich is muted. <laughs> I'm frantically clicking to unmute. <laughs> God, different hosts, same problems. Man. <laughs> oh, man. You're fired. <laughs> Uh, okay. no. been nice knowing you I, yeah. I think that's actually hilarious <laughs> <laughs> I was just commenting in the chat room about how good an episode this was and yes it's even better now <laughs> <laughs> anyway that was a great track um, I think almost anyone could enjoy that it was good it was good oh wow it's good we got that from across <laughs> across the way because you, you like about what 4% of the stuff they have I play. You always pick metal, and you know I, I listen. Don't always pick metal. No, it's pretty often. I really like it. the The rest of that album, it comes off of an album called Twenty Two Hundred Five, and the rest of that album does not sound like that. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, that's a it's a it's a I don't know. It's a good song. It is a very good song. So I went to a ham fest. Now I think you guys want to go to a ham fest. Maybe. Yes, we we do actually want to go to a kind of well known ham fest. Kind of. Kind of. Maybe yeah. you have an announcement to make. We we do, actually. Um, there There's this uh, ham fest that comes up once a year in Dayton, May. Ohio in May. We had been there for five consecutive years up until last year when we didn't make it. But we are going to try and make it there again this year. Uh, I don't actually recall the date from this year because I didn't bother to write it down, but obviously it's about the third weekend in May because that's when it always is. The Dayton Hamvention is rolling around again, and as like last year, we have an Indiegogo campaign up and running. Well, we already have a couple of donations, which is great. Thank you to those who have uh, donated early. Uh, we're actually using Indiegogo's new facility called Generosity. This is this is for things that are non-project oriented. In other words, there's no uh, physical outcome to the the project at hand. This is actually for you know people who are sick or uh, educational concerns or. Uh, you know, if you want to send water to Rwanda or whatever, you know, they have a new thing called generosity.com. Uh, and we are doing our fundraiser this year under that aegis. We have a link to that, which will be in the show notes. And I'll probably be posting that on our website. And I have been posting this every couple of days on social media, on Google Plus, on Facebook, on Twitter, and so forth. So the link to that will be, you know, everywhere. And if you're on social media, you'll see it. Uh, if you can't contribute monetarily, we would sure love if you could, you know, post it on your social media networks or send it in emails or, you know, however you want to get the word out. We would love to wind up at Hamvention again. We would love to set up a booth. We would love to be uh, education for the open source community, for ham radio, uh, using open source and all of that that we've done for many years in the past. So that link is out there. I hope uh, everybody will be able to contribute if they can. Uh, and if you've seen this in the last couple of days, I just want to let everyone know that I have put out a bunch of new perks. Uh, these are perks that have not been in the last two Indiegogo campaigns, and I hope they'll be much more interesting to folks uh, than st some of the stuff we put up earlier. 
Uh, so there, there's cool stuff out there. There's lots of new things you can sort of purchase for your donation, including being a host of the show, um, which is something we haven't offered before, but we're offering it now. There's lots of stuff out there, uh, everything from the $5 level all the way up to $500. So, you know, that should cover everybody's budget as far as I'm concerned. Even if you just want to throw a dollar our way, we would really appreciate it. And we would really hope that we get to see everybody uh, in Dayton out in May. So did somebody look up the date for me? 20th so can... through the 22nd. All right, good deal. May 20th through the 22nd. 115 days away. 115 days away, <laughs> cool. So if we meet our funding goal, um, we will be there and we'll see you all there. And, of course, we'll have lots of swag to give away and lots of cool things and lots to talk about. Uh, and, of course, our link to the generosity campaign will be in the show notes, and it's out on social media everywhere. So please contribute if you can, and if you can't, just let everyone you know uh, know about it through social media or whatever means necessary. And we thank you very much. Now, Russ, I don't see the perks uh, at the generosity by Indiegogo. <gasps> you don't? Do you, you went to the link, right? Well, I, I had the same problem the other day. I had to like dig around a little bit to find them. Hmm. Okay. Oh, I just I. Oh, I. It's I over on the now. side. I see them now. Yeah. I see them now. Yeah, okay, I did the same thing. Good. I was like, okay, there's nothing here, and I was like, oh, there they are. <laughs> so keep keep scrolling down, people. <laughs> yeah, scroll down. There's a lot of scrolling <laughs> to be done, by the way. So. Hey, we don't have an LHS shot glass. No, we're gonna have one though. Ooh, cool. <laughs> Probably from that new uh, that new site. Probably that you guys mentioned last yeah. show. It actually isn't, but um, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, Sharpie, <laughs> Sharpie, Sharpie on a shot glass. L H. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. We're just gonna write on the shot glass. Yeah, L H. Yeah, and I got plenty of crayons around. <laughs> Well, you know, actually, I don't know. I've I've done the uh, like the stoneware mug with the sharpie drawing on it. I've never tried doing it on glass, but I bet it would work. <laughs> We're just gonna have Cheryl yeah. put on lipstick and kiss all the the shot uh-huh. glasses. Sure. <laughs> that'll work. That'll, that'll get everybody in. I think. Well, uh, there you go. <laughs> well, I can't wait. You know, it's it's at four percent, and this show has four percent more badgers. So it's well, it's oh, actually yeah. technically only three percent. We're working on four percent. Four percent. Trying yeah. to get the. Okay, mother. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we got a ways to go. (laughs) Uh, All right, Rich, you got a couple stories here. So uh, we mentioned earlier the W0VFW in uh, in the story earlier uh, out there in Wichita, Kansas. If you're around Wichita next Sunday, January 31st, from 1 to 4 p.m. at the VFW Post at 3115 West Douglas, they're going to be operating. They're going to have the Dead of Winter Ham Radio event. And it coincides with Winter Field Day. Uh, Admission is free. And the event will promote involvement. And they hope to get people interested in becoming ham radio operators. So that's going on. And then this next one. um, Gee, you left it in there. I didn't know if you would or not. (laughs) We we talk about other people's shows all the time. We have no issue with that whatsoever. Well, I found two. uh, This one is, is ham radio. So the Everything Ham Radio podcast. He's already got... Three episodes out. Uh, it's Curtis Moore, K5CLM, and he says, Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first normal episode of the Everything Ham Radio podcast. In, the episode, in this episode, we are talking about D-Star. And, and then in, uh, in 
every episode he has a little ham radio club spotlight and then he uh, does a little news and so that's a, a new show you can listen to he has an episode zero as out as well that just talks uh, about himself and why he's doing it and i listened to that today and uh, i was certainly not turned off i was i was impressed so the more the merrier another podcast for the radio amateur Yep, that's always a good thing. We can't have too many of them, I don't think. To fill the vast void that OSWR <laughs> yeah. has left. That that is very true. We're so sad about that. Well, we we actually didn't call the demise of OSWR the last time we talked about it. Uh, we gave you room for resurrection. We just I I have papers and papers and papers with ideas for shows, and I just have not had the motivation to do it. Well, you know what? You have a new platform for those ideas. <laughs> exactly. This is why the show is so long today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's very cool. I am actually anxious to check that out because I like hearing uh, new people's views and everything. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, check out the Everything Ham Radio podcast hosted by Kilo 5 Charlie Lima Mike. Sounds sounds interesting. Uh, we also have a comment on episode number 155 from Gary, KC3PO, awesome call sign, by the way. And he says, uh, this is actually in response to feedback we got um, two episodes back, maybe, from Scott and 8 bsi uh, who asked about the, the little uh, portable lollipop nodes uh, for doing HSMM. And uh, Gary says, it's not really rocket surgery. Uh, to call back to rocket surgery from earlier, uh, a five-gallon bucket as the base. The bucket holds the battery and is also filled with sand or cement. PVC pipe goes up from the bucket, serves in a, as an antenna mast, antenna mounted on top, router, and possibly other optional equipment such as a camera mounted near the top in a suitable box. Uh, see the slide show. I think slide 16 and 18 for visual from KC3PO. Uh, and the link, of course, to... The information and the slideshow that he's talking about, which is actually in PDF format, will be in the show notes. Uh, it's actually provided by Whiskey 8, Mike, Romeo, Charlie. This is in response to setting up portable high-speed uh, multimedia nodes uh, for ham radio operation uh, that Scott was asking about and that was, talked to, uh, that was brought up when uh, Frank Howell was a guest on the show in episode number 155. So uh, we'll have that information because I'm sure that will be of interest to Scott and probably lots of other people. And in response to uh, up, upping our Badger quotient uh, on the show, uh, we have a voicemail from uh, Matt Williams. And I have Kilo Charlie 8 Bravo Juliet Whiskey on here. And I don't think that's the right call sign. Can you look that up for me for real quick? I, I was doing that from memory, and I'm pretty sure I'm totally wrong. Uh, so Sounds close. I, I know it's close. Uh, but close is not the right thing when you're that's, talking about call no, signs. No, I know. I that's know, Billy Ayler. Oh, yeah, so that's definitely that not That's definitely that. not right. So <laughs> It's probably Bravo Whiskey Juliet instead of Juliet Whiskey. There's a KD9BWJ. It's a Matthew Williams in that, Martinsville, Indiana. That, that's, that's it. That's it. Kate, what is it? <laughs> Kilo Delta 9 Bravo Whiskey Juliet. Okay, I was, see, I was close. KD9 Bravo Whiskey, Whiskey Juliet. Juliet. Yeah. Okay. And he just answered me. He's online. So. <laughs> All right. So anyway, we also have voicemail from Matt Williams, Lord Drakenblut, Kilo Delta 9, Bravo Whiskey Juliet, who is here to up our uh, Badger quotient. Uh, and believe me, there is no other purpose to this voicemail. Uh, so. <laughs> hey, Russ and Gerald. Badgers. Badgers. 
Badgers, 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 badger, 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 badgers, 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 um, and did I mention badger, 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 All right, if that doesn't up our badger quotient by at least a couple of points, then we've got some problems. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. He just said to check our Google Plus page about something he just posted about scale. From Scale 14, Special Event Station, November 6, Sierra. We actually talked about this um, when we ha- when we interviewed the guys from Scale. They, they talked oh, about right. November 6, Sierra. Uh, so that, that information did go out in time. So I am, I am glad of that. <laughs> All right. So anyway, uh, thanks, <laughs> thanks, Matt. <laughs> Kilo Delta Nine Bravo Will- <laughs> Whiskey Juliet. Now that I get your uh, call sign correct. <laughs> uh, for for the added badgers, I will make sure to update the the title on the website uh, to make sure we retain all of our listeners with our um, appropriate at least four percent badger quotient. So, uh, yeah, I'm thinking that jumped up. To like uh, 10, yeah, it's probably but... about nine now. So yeah. I think we're well over the limit. <laughs> but. Uh, anyway, thanks to everyone who sent in uh, feedback uh, in one way or the other. Uh, we really appreciate that. It lets you, uh, us know that you're listening. And, of course, we appreciate all of our listeners, uh, every single one of you. Yes. Yep. All right. You know what that means? We're down to the best part of the program. Well, maybe. No. It's oh. definitely the best part of the program. <laughs> all right. It's whatever. Cheryl's Recipe Corner. So Yoo-hoo. let's hear it. All right. Mm, super. Mm. Yes. <laughs> so today's recipe is for Grunkensuppe. It's a traditional German spelt soup. And how we manage to stumble across this is Russ and our foodies. Uh, sadly enough, but you can tell by our weight. Um, and on Saturday, we traveled to Kansas City to do some shopping at Ikea, uh, visit Weston Brewing in Weston, Missouri, and we're enjoying beverages from there at this very moment, and visit the Steamboat Arabia Museum, which, if you don't know anything about it, it was a steamboat that was taken down by a tree in the middle of the Missouri River in 1980. Well, the the boat itself sank in 1856. They found it in 1988. So, anyway, at the end of our day, we enjoyed a lovely meal at Grunar Restaurant, which is in a Frisco Freight building behind beautiful Union Station in Kansas City. Uh, We dined there during the Kansas City's Restaurant Week, so we had a three-course meal to enjoy. The soup was the dish that Russ chose for his first course. The rest of the meal was average until we got to the salted caramel pot de creme that we had for dessert. Well, the soup is, uh, yeah, yeah, Russ, Russ was very concerned about the pot de creme, uh, until he got a taste of it and then it was a fight over it. (laughs) So, (laughs) So while the soup is not something we've made at home yet, 
it will be something we do in the very near future. Uh, I love soup in the winter, especially with the pot de creme for dessert. So anyway, the soup has um, butter, veggies, uh, and spelt berries, which don't confuse us with spelt flour. Um, some broth. You can use chicken, vegetable, or beef. Uh, you can put meat in it if you like, or you can leave it out. It's up to you. A few recipes I found mentioned either bacon or chicken or cooked sausage. Choices are endless. Then once it's all done, you drizzle a little bit of cream on the top, salt and pepper it, and enjoy it. So, And the recipe makes four to six servings, approximately. If you don't know where to get spelt berries, check out your local natural food store. Uh, you can get it online locally through Aiken.com, which is a store that we have here locally, but they, they're all over the United States. Amazon carries it as well. Uh, search for Bob's Red Mill Spelt Berries. You can do anything with it. More more meat, no meat, more veggies, less veggies, different veggies, you know, just whatever. If you want a brothy soup, leave the recipe as it's written. If you want something that's thicker, you can puree everything together before you put it in your bowls. So. And I have to say, I didn't know what to expect out of the spelt soup. Um, it sounded interesting, and we, with the... Uh, restaurant week menu you're limited to a certain number of appetizers and a certain number of entrees you can only pick a couple of things uh, and with the appetizers there were only two things you could choose from one was a salad and one was a soup so we decided to try both of them so cheryl ordered the salad i ordered the soup and we decided to share them but i have to say uh, both the salad and the soup were outstanding and Considering what was in both of them, they're not things that I would have, like, chosen, like, just because I chose them. Due to the fact that we were limited to those two items, we kind of had to choose them. Uh, Because the salad was basically, like, arugula with... Golden beets and craisins. golden beets and uh, cranberries um, with feta cheese, I think, Mm -hmm. um, and a dressing which actually turned out to be amazing. amazing. Yeah. And the spelt soup, which is like a grain soup, which had like small pieces of uh, carrots and stuff like that. And actually uh, just a little dose of heavy cream kind of uh, mixed in at the end. It doesn't sound like much, but when you taste it, it's actually pretty amazing. So uh, if you get the opportunity to try this uh, and if you're kind of a soup person and you like a, you know, a warm soup on a cold day. This is pretty amazing, and you d- it doesn't require a whole lot of work uh, to get it done. No. It's not, it's not a very involved uh, process to making the soup. So I definitely would highly recommend giving this one a shot. Uh, definitely a little more uh, upscale than some of the things we've been talking about lately. Most uh, people don't know anything about spelt berries. Yeah. Well, I didn't know anything about spelt berries until we had it. We, we didn't know anything about <laughs> spelt berries until this week. So yeah, well, the next recipe is going to be the caramel pot de creme. <laughs> mm. Ted, Ted says people our, should Google that. Yeah. Just Google pot de creme. Uh, P O T D E. Oh my gosh, it looks really good. Does it have any eggy flavor at all? No, no it's actually no. like a really thick. It, moussey it's, pudding it's, type thing. It's like eating a jar of caramel mousse. It's like a, <laughs> it's just amazing. Yeah. Well, it was a salted caramel, and it had like um, yeah. little anise cookies or something that came with it. I so. know. It's like to die for. <laughs> yeah. Russ was the the choices for the desserts was apple strudel or the pot de creme. 
And I'm not a big apple dessert person. I, I'm just, that's, that's Russ's thing. He loves apples. He loves, you know, pies and things like that. So, you know, when it came down to the end, the, during, we had lunch there. So of the three courses, we could only pick two, but we could add the dessert for $5 or something, $6. So we decided to split the pot de creme and it came out in a, pint mason jar that that's what they had baked it in and russ you know they set it down in front of me because i was the one who ordered it and russ was like "Uh, i don't know (laughs) and i tasted it's like oh my god you'll love this so he took a little bite of it he's like oh hey scoot that over here (laughs) so and then we were like you know because they brought out um like ice drink spoons to eat it with because the jar size and we at the end we were like digging in the bottom for the last (laughs) little bites of it so well i know when i was reading the menu when i saw the description of the pot de creme i was concerned my, my brain read the description as something akin to creme brulee and I hate creme, creme brulee. brulee. Right. So I, I didn't want to order it. But when we found out that we only got two of the courses instead of three, because we thought we were getting three and we were going to each take one of the desserts and then share, I decided that I didn't want a dessert. And so we had to choose between the two of them. So I left it up to Cheryl. And Cheryl obviously wanted the pot de creme. So we got that. Now I'm glad that's the way we went because it's... <laughs> Yeah, it was truly an amazing dessert, and it's just nothing like creme brulee. So no, it's nothing like creme brulee. I had had pot de creme before, but and I thought Russell had been with me when I had it, and he said no. No, so, I'd never had that before. Yeah, no, so. I'd never had that before because I would be swimming in a vat of it if I had ever had it before. So well, maybe when you get home from work on Wednesday night after your long drive. You'll come home to some pot de creme. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> you can only. Uh, hope yes yeah. <laughs> I can only, that's right i can only hope so this uh, um good this this uh grunken super uh uh i have family in switzerland my ah, grandma lives there right and i've been there a couple times and every day for lunch the and this is when i was a young child 10 10 years old we had soup for lunch every day and it looks very similar to this. some of the, some of i mean not every day in the same soup but there was soup every day, some kind of soup, and this looks very similar to it. It probably is because the recipes that I ended up finding you found were Danish, right? Yeah, they they were like uh, or Dutch. They were uh, all recipes Dutch, uh, you know. And I had to translate the pages, and yeah, but I found tons of them. I see on chefkoch.de. I that's a German site. There. Right, right. De is uh, Germany, so. Anyway, wow. That's, no, uh, D.E. Like, is Deutschland. Yeah, yeah, Deutschland. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Deutschland, you, this you is, call me. This would be for our German <laughs> listeners. Right. Am Samstag, dem Russen, ich reiste nach Kansas City zum Einkaufen bei Ikea. In Western Missouri. Ein heißen Getränke von dort in diesem Augenblick. German is funny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we live three miles from a German community. You should kind of be used to it by now. With Uh, Amish neighbors that speak German as well. So, All right, enough of that. We need to move on. We're over two hours on the show already. Yes, we are. All right, so that's Cheryl's Recipe Corner, and we're going to move on to the social media roundup. So hit it. All right, I'm hitting it. This week, for donations and subscriptions, we have Michael Aiello, 
Mike Lasky and Ronald Nesler. On Facebook, we have Roman Mileki, Antoine Joyner, Nico Van Tonder, and John Ropesh. Google Plus, we have Antonio H., Karthik Shaw, Chris Nelson, John Van Egdom, Eric Bond, and William Buck. Twitter, we have Going Linux with a side note of Larry, what took you so long? Uh, Woody, V-E-2-G-Z-I-K-M-6-M-O, P-A-3-H-C-M. Nobody joined us on YouTube. Mike Lasky did join our mailing list, and we had no merchandise sales. Well, we might have had merchandise sales, but I actually haven't had a chance to check. But I'm assuming Uh, we don't have merchandise sales because we almost never do. Sometimes it happens. It does happen once in a blue moon. And hopefully if we uh, actually get moved over to Spreadshirt, then maybe we'll get more. We'll see. Or maybe if we start operating or offering uh, shot glasses, we'll get even more. Yeah. Well, some people don't have our shot glass collection desires. No, that's true. But there's always a use for a shot glass. Well, yeah. Because it's a one ounce glass. If nothing else, you can use it to measure flour. Who, Who knows? You know, you'll figure something out. Measure the spelt berries. There That's you right. Go. Measure the spelt berries for your, <laughs> for your, wait a minute, let me go up and look. Your, Six ounces. No. The, the name of it. The, uh, the Grunkernzupa. Yeah. That. <laughs> yeah, that. That's the thing I was looking for. Right. So anyway, you know what that means, right? It's time to get out of here. Yeah, the show's over. So, uh, thanks, Rich. It's good to have you here. Yay. Uh, as our, as our new, uh, man about town. And that was fun. And comedic. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Comic relief or whatever. Yeah, Comedic quaaludes. There you go. We talk about those way too often. All right. <laughs> anyway, I think I'm going to hit the button, which I've just done, and there's music, so we're going to get on out of here. So you can become an LHS ambassador, and we've heard from an LHS ambassador who turned co host tonight. Visit the website for upcoming events and information on how you can represent Linux in the Ham Shack at a nearby LinuxCon or HamFest. We love feedback. You can email us at info at lhspodcast.info. You can comment on an episode on the website, post on Google+, Facebook, or Twitter, or leave us voicemail at 1909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1909-547-7469. You can visit our IRC channel, hash LHS podcast on the free node network, and you can subscribe to our mailing list. Links on the website. Show merchandise from coffee mugs to t-shirts can be purchased currently at cafepress.com slash LHS or LHS podcast. We'll probably be moving that over to Spreadshirt coming up in the near future. You can also help the show by clicking on the sponsored ads in the right-hand column of the homepage. That doesn't cost you anything except a moment of your time. It sends us a couple of cents our way. We appreciate it. You can listen to us live every other Monday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. That's Tuesday night, 0100 Zulu Time. I believe it's actually 0200 Zulu Time now that we're in the winter. Uh, And our recording schedule and countdown timer to the next episode is on the website. And that website is lhspodcast.info. That site contains everything you ever wanted to know about our show, Linux in the Ham Shack. So thank you to all of our listeners, live, quasi-live, past, present, and future. We appreciate each and every one of you and look forward to having you listen to us again in two weeks' time. So for Rich, KD0RG, and for Cheryl, who sits across from me, and for me, Russ, K5TUX, coming to you 
from Studio 3D in lovely, bitterly cold southwest Missouri. Uh, We will hope to hear from you all again in two weeks' time. Bye for now.